really good, isn't it? Um, you know, in, uh, not too long ago, we were going to middle school camp, and I walked in the door right over here, and all of our middle school kids were in here, and there was a seventh grader that walked up to me and says, Pastor Chris, I don't understand girls. And um, he had brought a, a friend that was a girl, and he was, they were having a little conflict, and I just put my hand on his shoulder. I said, buddy, welcome to the club, man. I, I don't know either. But um, he was coming to me for advice. Just even this week, we have a group of guys in our church. Every, they're going through a book together. And I walked into Panera Bread uh, this Thursday morning, and they're sitting there, and they're, they're going through this book, and it's called, um, it's called Discovering the Mind of a Woman. And I, and I walked in, and they were just sitting there going, man, we're not doing very good, Chris. And I was like, you know, hey, that's okay. But, you know, learning to communicate, learning to work through our differences. It didn't take me very long when I got married that, to realize that Robin and I are quite different. Now, now, it's not always her fault. She was looking at me going, I don't get, she doesn't get me either. And, and, and you know, in marriage, it's interesting because we come together and we're, we're learning to speak one another. I'm 23 years into learning to speak Robin. And, and, and you know, she's 23 years into learning to speak Chris. And, and that's the journey of marriage. We've got to learn to communicate to one another, learn to work through conflicts, you know, over the last several weeks, we've been in this series uh, hovering over these two passages of Scripture that I believe are very, very important. You know, um, as I've prayed for our church, as I've wrestled through where God would have us, you know, this is a critical moment for us. You know, you know as, as I said last week, if you're here, that we have been praying for 17 couples that we know of whose marriages are on the verge of, of breaking up. And, you know, as, as we prayed and wrestled through, this series was birthed out of that prayer as we, as we get in the way of, of folks. That, those are just 17 couples that we know of. And, and I know that there are many marriages in our community who are, who are in the throes of, of, in the fiery trials of marriage. And they're trying to discover how are we going to make it. You know, and that's why this series is important. If you're here today and you're married, it's important for us to get a vision for get God's vision for marriage. If, if you're single today, many, some of you are here today and you're, you've watched your marriage fall apart. And, and it's important for you because some of you have the freedom to remarry. And if God ever does that, answers that prayer in your life, it's important for you to develop God's vision for, your, for marriage. Some of you are single and you, you've never been married, but you're praying, God, bring that person to my life. You know, a, a, building a good marriage happens way before you say I do. You know, I think about our teenagers that are, that are in this service, that, are, that it's, it's critical for them to grow up, and, and as they grow up in church, for them to develop God's plan for marriage. And this is one of those places that I pray they discover that and learn that. This morning we're in Matthew 19, and I'd love for you to turn there because it's this incredible passage. Matthew 19, 1 through 12, Mark chapter 10, 1 through 12, is this moment where Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees. We've been hovering over this, and today what we're going to deal with, and I want to just tell you we're, 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 we have three weeks left counting today, and, and today we're going to work through um, how, to, how to overcome conflict, how to, how, how to deal with conflict in our marriage. Next week, it's an important week for us, and I, and I pray you come. 
we're going we're gonna to dive into God's plan for sex. And this is a critical topic for us as a church. And, and, and you know, we can't be afraid to deal with this subject. And so we're going to confront it head on. So uh, come next week. Then, then we'll have one more sermon in this series as we look at this, and then we're going to shift gears. But, but, so, uh, but I pray you stay with us. I, it's been my prayer that God helps us develop his plan for marriage, a vision that he has for marriage. Would you stand, and let's read Matthew 19. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 12 today as just we get the understanding and the whole picture of this passage. Verse 1 says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him. And he healed them there. And Pharisees came up and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate." And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive the same but only to those, those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is the word of the Lord. Now, please be seated. Thank you so much. Now, now today, I want us to understand that, that we're continuing to look deeply into this idea of holding fast to your husband or wife. That this idea you've heard uh, that, that we're to cleave to one another. And, and the picture that I get in my mind is, is the picture of that reporter that I saw recently as the hurricane was going on. And, and he was reporting on that hurricane and, and, and the wind was blowing. It was crazy. And, and he couldn't even look at the camera. And he was holding onto this pole that was fir- this, this concrete pole. It was firmly fixed. And he was trying to report. And he was holding onto that. And at one point he started to slip, but he held on tighter. He couldn't even give his report. You know, that's the picture. That's in my mind that, that as, as we look at our marriages, we're to hold fast to them. We're to cleave to one another. And this is an important concept. And, and it's interesting as you look at in chapter 19, the Pharisees had come to Jesus and they were, they were trying to trick him. They were trying to um, pull Jesus into this hot potato of the day when it comes to divorce. And, and, and they were, were questioning him and and, and, you know, they were taking Deuteronomy 24.1, which is this moment when Moses permitted divorce. And he said, you've got to write a certificate of divorce. And it's interesting that, that what Jesus did when he's pushed on the question of divorce and, and this debate between Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel, they were popular rabbis of the day. And, and, 
And there was a lot of debate to what Deuteronomy 24.1 says because Moses says if there was some indecency, you could divorce your wife. And there was debate, what does that indecency mean? Is it, uh, you know, Rabbi Hillel was kind of strict on that. And he said, you know, it was only sexual sin. And, and Rabbi Shammai was, was, was liberal on that. He said, you know, if your wife just makes you mad or burns the, the bacon, if you will, uh, then, then you can do this. You can get rid of her. And it was this flippant idea about marriage. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. Let me bring you back to what God intended. Look at verse 4. He says this, and he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? We see in this very beginning that marriage is this divine relationship. And it's why one of the things that I pray that we catch and we get in our hearts and our minds as we think back of this series, there's one idea that I've been harping on and, 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 and focusing on, and it's this, that a biblical marriage is a covenant relationship. It's not a consumeristic contract. And, and in so many ways in our culture, we've made marriage this contract that we just sign, and we can come in and out of that contract. But, but that's not God's plan for marriage. It's this divine relationship. From the very beginning, God established this relationship of marriage, and it's a covenant that we have made. Marriage is this, uh, look at verse 5, it's, it's this mutual relationship. He said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this, this idea of hold fast, it's, it, the, the picture there is glue. Imagine two pieces of paper, you know, when you're a kid and you would glue two pieces of paper together. I just have the, that construction paper that we would glue together. And then when you, if you tried to rip it apart, what happens? Well, part of that construction, it just, you can't rip it apart. It, it doesn't stay the same. And that's the picture of, of hold fast to one another. It's a picture of glue. You are glued together. It's this intimate relationship. It's this permanent relationship. And that's what marriage is. It's to be permanent. And what's interesting is, is the disciples or the Pharisees, they'd come to Jesus and they were like, no, no, we can just write a certificate of divorce. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's not God's plan. You know, we all through history, mankind has not had a high enough view of marriage. And this is something I pray we correct, and God corrects in us that we develop a higher vision for marriage, that marriage is this permanent relationship. Verse 8, um, when they were looking at, at we, we, we had these conflicts, and, and we'll just get rid of her, or get, we'll, we'll just end this marriage because conflicts come up. And he says, no. Verse 8, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And see, God's plan for marriage is, is one man, one woman for life. And this has been his plan from the beginning. But what's interesting is that we have forsaken God's plan for marriage. It's almost like we have, we have been sucked into our culture's view of marriage. And, and, you know, when I think about this, these conflicts going on with these, these Pharisees as they say, you know what, my, my wife does something I don't like so I can just get rid of her. No, no, this morning I pray that we turn our face to, to this, the skill 
of working through conflicts, working through our relationship with one another as we understand one another, as we work to listen to one another. So, so you know, I pray we get that marriage is a covenant that we are to keep. But in order to keep it, it takes work. And we've got to learn to speak one another. We've got to learn to, to work through difficulties with one another because we will face difficulties. Marriage is this relationship that I can't hide my flaws. I can't hide my brokenness. Robin sees all the mistakes that I've made. Like, like I've said many times, she has been a witness to my very, very best. She's also been a witness to my very, very worst. But see the joy and the power of the title of our series that I choose you. That in spite of the very best and the very worst, we are in the process of choosing one another. And that's a daily journey. I'm going to choose her today. And, 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 and we will say the words to each other, I love you. We say that all the time. Do you know what we also say? Hey, I choose you. I would challenge you to bring that into your vocabulary in your marriage. Hey, I choose you. Do that this week, husbands. Send a note to your wife, just something of, hey, I, I choose you today. See, because there's power and choice. That's the most powerful kind of love. Now, when it comes to conflict, we've got to figure this out. Now, here, let's understand this a little bit. Let's, 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 let's break this down a little bit. Let's look deeply into what it means to hold fast to one another. And, and let's, let's today allow the Lord to help us work through our conflicts with one another. First thing I want you to know about conflicts is, th is this, a challenge to us, that you allow conflicts to unite your marriage. You know, you may think, okay, Chris, what, what do you mean? Our conflict can unite your marriage? Absolutely it can. You know, uh, several years ago, I, I preached the coolest wedding. This is the coolest wedding. Uh, it was uh, uh, the Craddigers was their names, and and um, and, um, and the husband had graduated from West Point. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, all the groomsmen were West Point grads. And they had just gotten back from Iraq together. And, man, it was, it was one of those moments that I thought, my goodness, I am so proud to be an American. Because as I looked at these young men, they were, they were sharp guys. And, and they were dressed in their, in their West Point, uh, I don't what do they call them? The, is it Blues? Yeah, the dress blues. I mean, they had their swords, and they had the whole shebang, okay? It was unbelievable. They looked sharp. And, uh, and it was so fun because they, like, as the bride walked through in the ceremony, they hit her on the rear with their sword and said, Welcome to the Army, Mrs. Kratiger. And uh, it was just the coolest wedding. But I'll tell you what, this, I have never felt so cool as a pastor. It was, the, the wedding was on Northwest 23rd Street in Oklahoma City. And, and on Northwest, on, 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 excuse me, on 10th and MacArthur, around 10th and MacArthur in Oklahoma City, northwest side, there's this old castle. That I, don't know, I don't know the history of it. It's a German castle, and that's where the wedding was. Well, it happens to be just like two blocks from a, from a railroad crossing. And, and the wedding's going on, and it was the coolest moment. I could never have planned this. I got really lucky. But, but I said, you may kiss the bride. And the second I said that, he leans in for the kiss, and a train goes, and I was like, boom. You know, I was like, I felt so cool as a pastor. I got so lucky. Um, but it was, but here's what I noticed about these young men. 
as I got into their weekend and got to hang out with these guys throughout this weekend, I just started noticing the bond that these guys had. You see, this group of guys had just gotten back from Iraq. And, uh, and, and one of the groomsmen was the, the, the head of, uh, he, was, he was a higher rank than these other guys. These are all like officers. And, um, and they were in charge of a tank division. And one of, these, one of these guys was credited with saving a lot of lives in this certain battle in Iraq. And it was a really difficult battle. There were, there were some, a lot of guys that had died. And, but this guy jumped into the fray. And, and, <coughs> and, excuse me, and these guys had come together. And as I looked at them, I thought, my goodness, I got to be, I, I was in their circle. And the bond of these men that had gone through battle together was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And I was just humbled to have been in the circle. But you know, that's kind of what conflict does. When you and your marriage go through conflict and you survive storms and difficulties, that unites you. Now, here's the thing. As we go through this, it's important, like the video that we saw, understanding is important. And I want us to see that understanding is this lifelong process. That if you're going to work through conflict, if conflict is going to unite you, you've got to have a lifelong commitment that we're going to weather this storm. We're going to work through this trial. And that's the vision of marriage that, that, like, we live in this consumeristic culture that, oh, when, I, when I'm tired of you, I'll just, I'll just get rid of you. When the work comes, I'll just throw you aside. But that's not what a covenant marriage is. A covenant marriage is, hey, we got to work on this. We've got to understand how to get through this. And when you do, oh, my goodness, it brings you together. It unites you like nothing else. So you may be here today, and you're in the middle of conflict. I want to give you some hope about that, that when you get through it, when you make it through it, what that's going to do is unite you, and, and it's going to build your marriage. It's going to make your marriage even tighter and stronger. It's why, you know, Tim Keller wrote in his book that we've, that's the foundation of this series. When, when I think about, we're going through this class on Wednesday night, it was this concept that Tim Keller articulated, which is the covenant side of marriage that he emphasized. He, he says in his book that, that if you are in an unhappy marriage right now, that if you stay together, within five years, two-thirds of those couples move to happiness. Because why? Because conflict unites us. Now, now i, I got to tell you, and I want, I want us to hear this today, that, that in the midst of our conflict, we've got to control our anger. And, and hear this today, and I'm using this word intentional. I put it on the screen today. Anger must be eradicated. Now, we don't use that word eradicated very often. And, and I've thought, I thought to myself as I was writing this sermon, I thought, you know, maybe that's not a word we use very often. So maybe I should simplify it and say, you know, get rid of anger. But I, but I kept coming back to this word eradicated because it's such a strong word that we've got to eradicate. What does eradicate mean? It means, it means completely obliterate, completely wipe out our anger. And, and I'll tell you, in our marriages, we've got to control our anger because, you know, you know 
sometimes our anger gets out of, the, out of control. And when it does, it's so devastating. I think, you know, I pray that, that our children, as they watch us handle our conflicts in marriage, that your children, your grandchildren, that, they, that you model for them how to, how to control your anger, how to control yourself. You know, one of the most devastating things you can do as a parent is have explosive arguments in front of your kids. And if that's your habit, can I challenge you? you got, you got to control that. Look, be the adult. Control that. You know, th- this is something that I, I, I pray we learn to do. Eradicate this anger. What does the Bible say? Colossians 3, incredible passage, incredible chapter. Uh, Colossians 3, 8 says this. But now then, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. The Bible says we're, we're to put that away. That as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, we're to take that and put it in put it away. We're not to do that. We're to, we're to con- allow the Lord to lead us and, and to control our temper, to put away the anger, put away the wrath, put away the malice, the slander, the obscene talk from your mouth. And when I think about so many marriages, it's in that relationship where a lot of the anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk comes out the loudest. We've got to eradicate this. Well, how do you do that? Well, Colossians 3, 12 and 13 says it. Put on, then, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So it begins with Christ, God's holy ones. You've got to come to Jesus. And, and then you, you put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And see, when you build a marriage that is founded in forgiveness, I mean, I think about my marriage to Robin, nobody has hurt her more than me. You know, and vice versa, because the nature of our relationship is every day. I mean, every day she knows where I am. Every day we're connecting. I mean, there's not a, there's not a moment that goes by that we are not aware of each other. And the reality is that the nature of that relationship demands consistent forgiveness and consistent reconciliation. And so it's important that we see this, that, that we recognize that, that conflicts, they will unite us when we get through it. And that, that's what's happened in our journey. And that's what will happen in yours. That's why this, this walking with Jesus and learning to say, God, you will transform our thinking. You will transform our actions. I want to challenge us to rethink conflicts. The conflict is actually a way to unite us in in our marriage. Second thing, if if we're going to work through conflicts, if we're going to handle this, we've got to learn to listen well. The video articulated it pretty well. I mean, sometimes as husbands, we want to fix things. Oh, well, here, it's easy. Do A, B, C, and D. And a lot of times our wives, they don't want us to fix it. They want us to connect. And so let's understand that. Let's learn from that. Let's, let's accept that. You know, it's like the, the I have a lot of, have a lot of, have had a lot of comments on the shoes comment at our wedding the other day when Robin was wearing these shoes and they were terribly uncomfortable. I'm like, well, take them off. No, they look good with my dress. Okay. What, oh, that's great. I'll, you look beautiful. So I kept saying as she limped through the wedding. It was funny. Um, but, but, you know, um, over the years we've had to learn to listen to one another. 
You know, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but Brad Ayler and I were, were uh, roommates in college. We lived in this house in Shawnee, um, and, and it, was, it was a bachelor pad. We had a deal of apple juice that we kept for four years, because, or three years, because something was growing in the middle, and we thought it was cool. So we kept it on top of our refrigerator. It was awesome. We never opened it, never drank it, but it had this continually growing amoeba in the middle. And what was funny is, is after I moved out and got married, the guy still lived in that house for another year and a half, and they kept it, and it was on top of the refrigerator. And we were just—it was like a life, uh, a three or four-year science project. We thought it was cool, but but our our house was a little messy. Like when Kelly Ayler or Robin would come over, most of the time they wouldn't go to the bathroom in our house because we were a bunch of guys. You know, we didn't we didn't clean it very well. Well, um, I kind of carried that habit into my marriage. You know. Uh, jock, bachelor kind of guy. And so when we first got married, we lived in this little house in Ada, Oklahoma. I was the youth minister at First Baptist Ada. And I had this habit that, I, and, and it's, I've broken it now. And, uh, but, but I had this habit, I would literally walk in the door and I would start like, you know, taking my shoes and clothes off. And I would have a trail all the way to our bedroom in the middle of the floor. And Robin, Robin, it was incredibly frustrating to my wife. And, uh, and so we had kind of been learning some skills in marriage. Our, our pastor had mentored us. And, and, uh, and so she comes to me one day and she goes, I, I really want to talk to you. And I was like, sure, hon. And uh, she goes, okay, you have this habit. There's this habit of, of this trail of clothes. And, and she goes, can I tell you how that makes me feel? And it, what, we weren't hungry, we weren't rushed, we had some time, and she picked a really good time, and I was like, okay. She goes, it's like this. It's like I'm building a sandcastle on the beach. And I was like, oh, that's a nice picture of building the sandcastle on the beach. And I build this really beautiful sandcastle, and then you just walk up and just stomp on it and kick it over. And I was going, huh. I don't mean to stomp on your sandcastle. I'm so sorry. And, uh, but, but it was like one of those moments that I got it. I listened to her. And, you know, when it comes to listening well, there, there's a couple of rules that we follow. And this is just for free. This is not on the screen, not in your notes. But, but, but this is a couple of rules we follow. Like a rule we have in our marriage is we don't ever use always or never unless it's in the positive. And I want to challenge you to consider that. Like, I'll never say, I mean, she could have said, you always drop your clothes on the floor. No, I don't always do it because there was one time I didn't do it. And as a guy, I would remember that one time, right? And so she told me that story, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to stomp on your sandcastle. I care about you. And, 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 but we've decided we're, never, we're not going to use always or never unless it's in the positive, like, I'll always love you. I'll never leave you. But I want to challenge you to adopt that. And there have been times in our marriage that we've been in an argument and, and we've dropped the always. And we're like, no, 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 you broke a rule. Ah, oh, man, I broke a rule. You know, and that's a rule we have. There's also a rule we have, and it's this way to deal with conflict. It's, it's this formula. When you dot, 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 I feel dot, dot, dot. And, and, I, and we'll use that formula because there are times that, that we will 
hurt one another, and we don't mean to. When you, I feel. It's a good formula. I want to challenge you to, to, to learn to listen well. What does that mean? Focus your attention to one another. That's what it means. Focus. Listen with acceptance and understanding. This is what it means to listen well, that when you listen, you have acceptance and understanding. You clarify the question and summarize the statements. This is what it means to listen well. Clarify the questions. This is what I'm saying and summarize the statements. Focus on what is being said over the way it's being said. Because sometimes when we're angry, when we're in conflict, we may say something in the wrong way. I want to challenge us to focus on this. You know, Proverbs 24.3 says this, By wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established. We've got to learn to listen well. Lastly, we got to, I want to challenge us in our marriages to guard your responses. Guard them. Guard the way you respond. Think before you speak. This is important for us in our marriages that, that we, we think about what we're saying. Because sometimes we let our, our conflicts get out of control and we don't think about what our kids hear. We don't think about the way that, that, that our, our spouse feels. Think about your responses. Learn, to, learn when to keep your mouth shut. You know, there are times you should just keep your mouth shut. Um, ask to make sure you're being understood. I mean, have you ever done that in, in a conflict? Am I, does this make sense? Not, don't you understand? Or, but, but this really, hey, let me communicate. And you have that humility about you. It's, it, it, it changes things. Practice, and this is, this is something where I want to end today. Practice peace as you communicate. Now, I want you to do something in your notes. I want you to write the word peace down, in a, down some way as, a, as an acrostic. Okay, so P-E-A-C-E. And I want to give you something practical to practice. If you're facing conflicts right now, here's something I want you to do. I want to challenge you to do this. Consider this. You know, um, have a peace conference with somebody, with your wife. Have, have a peace conference with your husband. What does that mean? P stands for not point your finger at them. But, but put up a mirror. P stands for put up a mirror. You know, um, what's it like to be led by you? What's it, li- wh- what's it like to respond to you? How do you come across? You know, this is an important question to ask. Because sometimes we face conflicts in our marriage and we don't think about how am I coming across to my wife, my husband? Or what is my contribution to this conflict? So first of all, when a conflict happens, you ought to first put up a mirror and go, okay, what's my part in this? Because a lot lot of times what fuels conflict is is your own pride, your your own selfishness. And and when you put up a mirror and go, okay, wait a minute, what's my contribution to this? That changes things. So that P first stands for put up a mirror. James 4, 1 through 3 says, do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from selfish desires that war within you. And a lot of times our fights come from our own selfishness. So when you have a conflict with your spouse, or really with anybody, 
you got to first look and go, okay, what's my contribution to this? Letter E, empathize with their feelings. This is important. How do they feel? You know, sometimes when we're in a conflict, we just tend to go, you know, I'm mad and I'm, this is what frustrates me. But, but have you ever stopped to consider, how, how does she feel? How does he feel? And, and empathizing with feelings, 1 Peter 3.8 says this, be full of sympathy towards each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. That, that sympathy is, is, is recognizing your part in the, in the, in, in the whole thing. Like, you know, how to you know how to apologize, right? I mean, sometimes people apologize and they say, you know, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry about that. But I'll tell you, if you've wronged your spouse, if you've wronged your children, let me just share you quickly how to apologize. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Th- that, that's a really good formula for apologizing. Because when you think about just, I'm sorry, he's not good enough. Then to own up to the fact, I was wrong. There's a humility there. I was wrong. And then that seeking, would you forgive me? You know, um, letter A, which leads to letter A, accept personal responsibility. That when you're in a conflict, to, 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 if you're going to really develop peace in your marriage, that you accept responsibility for the whole conflict, for, for what's going on, your, your part in this. And even if, even if you're the one that's been hurt, I want you to know we all make mistakes. No, no marriage is both, both partners have fault in, in, in the challenges, in the conflicts. And when you begin by saying, okay, I'm going to own up to my part of this, that's part of that restitution, that, that resolution. Um, letter C. And this is important, so, so let's, let's recap first. P, put up a mirror. E, empathize with their feelings. A, accept personal responsibility. C, compromise as much as possible. You know, in marriage, you've got to compromise. You've got to come together and say, let's work this out. I mean, Romans 12.8 says, do everything possible on your part to live at peace with all men. James 3.18 says, peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. The scripture moves us to to, to bring peace to our marriage, to bring uh, compromise to our marriage. I want to challenge us to be willing to say, look, I'm going to compromise here. And lastly, that letter E, and this is important, emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. Do you know there are some conflicts that you don't resolve immediately? But, but here's, the, here's the thing. If you're going to come together and work through conflict, you, I want to challenge us to practice this emphasis on, on reconciliation rather than re- resolution. Reconciliation means to reestablish the relationship. Resolution means to resolve every issue. You're not going to resolve every issue in your marriage. There are many moments 23 years into this that I look at my lovely, wonderful wife and go, I don't get it. I don't understand. I can think of ways to fix it, but she doesn't want to hear that. So I'm just going to love her anyway. And you know the same with me. She looks at me and goes, you know what? I don't get him. I don't understand him all the time. But do you know what? I'm going to love him anyway. 
You see, we've got to emphasize reconciliation over resolution. There are some things in your marriage that you will never be able to resolve. But we're still called to this covenant of of commitment. We're still called to, to resolution in our marriage. Now, it's the idea of being able to disagree in an agreeable way. And that's critical as we learn to hold fast to one another. Now, Ephesians 4.32 is the foundation of this. When you think about holding fast to one another, this, this coming together for a lifetime, this covenant, which says basically be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, God, forgave you. You see, it's why we said from the every, almost every week the foundation of our marriage is, is Christ. And if you're living your life without Jesus, I want you to know you're in trouble. Not just in this life, but, but, but it's impossible. You have an impossible reality in front of you without Christ because not only in your life to have the help of the Holy Spirit, the, the guiding presence of God, but, but when you die, you have no hope. You have no hope when you die. And that's why I pray that, that if you're here today without Christ, that you don't go another day without Jesus. That, that you need Christ more than you need the next breath that you take. You see, if you don't take another breath, you're going to die. But the reality is, if you die without Christ, you'll be separated from God from eternity. And you might say, oh, Chris, are you trying to scare us? Not really, but I'll, but I'll tell you, if you are living without Christ, you ought to be scared. You know, don't, don't go another day in your marriage, in your life, without complete surrender to Jesus. Do you know him? Do, do you have him in your life? Is the Holy Spirit moving you? In your marriage, or can you look at your wife, men, and say, Honey, I'm doing my best to walk with Jesus and follow him. If you can't honestly say that, come back to the Lord today. Those of you ladies, can you look at your husband and say, look, I'm walking with Jesus the best I can. Let's do that. Let's hear that.